Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Dan, one of the pastors here. And when I was in sixth grade, I loved rollerblading. I don't know if that's, that was cool at the time or if it's still cool, but I loved rollerblading. And I had this long, flat, concrete, smooth driveway that was really good for rollerblading, actually. And uh, it was like three cars wide, and it dumped out into this rough, chunky, old asphalt cul-de-sac. One day, I'm practicing, you know, my moves. I had just watched, I think, the Winter Olympics and all that skating and stuff. And so I'm inspired, and I want to go try some stuff out. And I thought I was fancy. So I'm practicing jumps and spins and, and doing all these cool moves and tricks. And, and I'm running, uh, skating down the driveway, building up some speed. And I, I get to the end, and I, I take off, and I, I initiate the spin. And, you know, two-thirds of the way through it, I'm like, okay, this is going all right. And I get a little further, like, oh, I'm not going to stick this thing and I just splat all over the asphalt concrete. It hurt so bad. I didn't even come close to landing correctly. Loose gravel asphalt all over me, and as I stand up to assess the damage, I see red uh, and black just kind of mushed together, and it was, it was hot, and that stingy feeling was just uh, whooshing up and down my, my limbs. And so I, I take off my gear, and I kind of slowly make my way upstairs to my parents' bathroom with my mother, who's a, a really good ER nurse, actually. I was lucky that day. And, and so I sat on the edge of her bathtub, and she started cleaning, uh, clearing out my wounds. She gets all that loose stuff off of me, and we see uh, underneath the, the, the tiny gravel that there are about six more little rocks, like, embedded into my leg meat, like a, a really bad road rash, and, and, uh, and the, the rocks from that, that loose asphalt, they're stuck in my leg, and so she, good nurse, she goes and gets these little tweezers, and one by one, really carefully, really gently starts pulling them out. I'm in tears. It hurts so bad. It was a rough time, but she did a great job getting me through all of that. And so she disinfects, the, especially my, my right leg was really torn up, and bandages it, wraps it, gets it all clean, and uh, covers up the cuts on my hands and the crater on my leg uh, where the rocks were. And over the next few weeks, that gash on, on my right leg starts to kind of seal up and close. And, you know, a few weeks go by, we move past the, just that raw carnage phase. And, and then you take the bandages off, and you can kind of see the leg skin again. You know, my leg's back, and I can look at, look at what, it, what my new skin is like. And, and so we're inspecting the, the old wound and, and notice that there's still something a little bit hard in there. You know, realize there's a seventh rock still stuck in my leg, all sealed up now. And I realize, oh, it's too late to take this thing out. So sixth grade Danny makes a promise to 30-year-old Dan that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this thing in there for 18 years. And on my 30th birthday, I don't know why I decided this, on my 30th birthday, I'm going to take this thing out myself. So, okay, I didn't know what I was getting into, but that was my vow. That was my promise to myself. So fast forward to my 30th birthday. Am I going to follow through on this? You bet I did. <coughs> I'm about to cut this rock out. So I, I had ordered all the supplies. I ordered scalpels and lidocaine and iodine and pizza. And a few buddies came over, some EMT medic type friends. <clears throat> and uh, I had consulted with my ER nurse mom. Yeah, give me some tips on how to perform surgery on myself, you know. And I won't show you the video here, but if you saw it, you'd see I was just pale white, ready to pass out, looking at this, this open thing in my leg that I had just cut into. It was rough, man. It was, it was a hard thing to go through. I don't know why I did it. It's pretty dumb. But it's tough to look at that incision on my leg and the blood dripping down. And, and once I got in there, once I had cut into it, 
I realized I don't think I can get this thing out without doing a lot more damage. There's 18 years of scar tissue that had just grabbed it and wrapped around it, and I couldn't, even with a fresh scalp, I couldn't get through that. Sorry, that's really gross and graphic. So unfortunately, the rock is still in there. My surgery was unsuccessful. I failed, and I remain marked. I won't show it to you, that's weird, but I, I remain marked by that memory with a scar that you can still see, with the rock that you can still feel in my leg. In the book of Joshua, the nation of Israel needed God to cut. You like that transition? <laughs> really smooth. Thanks for staying with me. The nation of Israel needed God to cut through something uh, so that a promise could be fulfilled as well. And they would be so marked by this miraculous event in their history. It was just so significant to their identity. It was embedded in who they were, you know. God wanted them to set up this stone memorial to remember it. So they never forgot what happened as they entered into this new chapter of their history. And as we study Joshua 3 to 5 today, you're welcome to turn there if you'd like. We'll have the passages on the screen as well. We're going to be jumping around a little bit. I'm really confident that their story can help us step into the new year ahead. Because maybe something in your life kind of took a spill last year. Maybe, maybe you had some kind of crash happen. Maybe something didn't go as planned and you came out of December feeling all scraped up and, and injured. Maybe you're still healing from something terrible that happened. Maybe you're looking down the road at all the 2023 ahead and, and intimidated by just unmeetable expectations. Not sure how to get everything done. Maybe you're racing towards a scary new territory at work. Uh, trying to pull yourself together, pick yourself up from this really frustrating new physical condition that you're dealing with. Maybe you're getting into a new relationship or responsibility. I'm not sure how to deal with all this right now. Or maybe you're entering the new year with a lot of hope and energy and optimism. Hope thinking that this is going to be the year I finally get to work through that old wound. I'm going to cut through that obstacle. I'm going to fulfill that promise. I'm going to make some progress in this area or that. I'm going to get to that place that God has been leading me to. Maybe this is the year. Wherever you're at in all that, I hope today that you hear the Lord speaking to you, showing you the incredible things that he has done in the past to get his people through death and into his promised presence. And I hope that that encourages us and empowers us to move beyond 22 and face all that's before us in 23. But before we get into that, before we dive into Joshua 3 to 5, let's just lay this before the Lord and and invite him to speak, okay? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for guiding us into this new year, and we just lay ourselves before you, Lord. We ask you to do a mighty work in our lives. We ask you to teach us and shape us, direct us, guide us, lead us. And we ask for your help as we process this passage in Joshua today that you would show us exactly what you want us to see that's going to set us up for the new year ahead. It's going to bring us into a new season so that we can look to you and follow you in all that we do. So that we can remember what you've done and be marked by Jesus. We love you so much. We thank you and we lift this time up to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This passage Joshua 3 to 5 is 
uh, no joke, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's so cool because of how rich and deep and symbolic and Christological, Jesus-centered it is, on top of the incredibly miraculous, powerful event that it records for us. And I'm truly excited to open this up with us today. I'm pumped to see how the Lord's going to use this in your life to prepare you for the new year. And so just, just so we know where we're at, biblically, Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible, It tells us about Israel, the people of God, their early, pivotal, formative years in their history. It's about 1,400 years uh, before Jesus, and it's just after the time of Moses. Moses has just passed away, handed off the leadership mantle to Joshua, right? And God, up to that point, has just brought his people out of Egypt. He has fought for them. He has fed them. He's cared for them. He's led them through 40 years of complaining and disobedience. Because he is faithful and loving and keeps his promises. That's why he put up with that, because he keeps his promise. Now specifically, he's keeping his promise to Abraham that he made back in Genesis 12 to 22. That God would make Abraham's family a great big nation, a special people, and bring them into a special land. You know that story. And that family happened to kind of get stuck down in Egypt, grew really big, and then got enslaved by the Egyptian people, tragically, for 400 years. God didn't leave them there, though. He heard their cry of suffering and said, I'm going to save you. And he delivered them. He broke them out of slavery powerfully and miraculously. And now after wandering in the desert for 40 years, it's time to enter that land that he promised. It's time to walk into his presence. So Joshua, the new leader of God's people, is listening to the Lord. How do I lead? What do I do here? Listening to the Lord who's telling him how to get into the land. He's speaking strength and courage. It's that famous phrase in Joshua, be strong and courageous. Find your strength in the Lord. He's telling him how to get into the land, reassuring Joshua, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But big problem, there's this major boundary, this huge obstacle and hurdle between them and their destination. It's the Jordan River. Joshua walks up to this obstacle, faces it though, by practically and spiritually preparing uh, the people to cross this thing into the promised land. He says, pack your stuff, do your meal prep, consecrate yourselves, do this holy, worshipful, uh, getting ready for the amazing wonders that God's about to do in your presence. And he takes them right up to the edge of that obstacle, the river. And as the people rest there, probably looking at this, like wondering, how are we going to get across that mess? It's huge. They're wondering how they'll get across. Joshua's lead team tells them, hey, just keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. Look at the Ark. Stay about a half mile back from it so that you can always see it and never lose sight of it, and you'll know the way. It's kind of like at a sporting event. Some sporting events, you don't want to get too close. You don't always want courtside. Like maybe football, you want to be up a little bit so that you can kind of see the game unfold. You can see the plays. You can, or maybe hockey, you can track the puck a little bit better. You want to watch the whole thing happening rather than getting lost in the crowd or stuck behind seven-foot athletes, and then you can't, <laughs> you can't see anything, right? That's kind of what he's telling them to do here. Keep a little bit of distance so that you can see what's going on. And so the priests pick up the Ark of the Covenant, They go before the people, they step into the brim of the flooded, raging Jordan River, wide as ever, higher than you and I are tall, strong enough to sweep our legs and carry us down to our death, muddier, messier, faster, more dangerous than any other time of the year. 
It's the type of scene that in, in us parents, it triggers that impulse like, oh, don't get too close with our kids. It's the scariest, worst time to do this, but a great time for God. And right there, Joshua says this. Let's look at Joshua 3.11 together. It says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. And as soon as those bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now, side note, the the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. It's flood season. This thing's horrible. The waters coming down from above or upstream stood and rose up in a heap very far away. And those flowing down towards the sea of Arava, the salt sea, were completely cut off. One of the great miracles that God performed in Israel's history. An enormous milestone. And we absolutely, of course, we believe this is completely true. This definitely happened. But we also want to figure out and see what it means. What is the biblical author presenting and showing us right here? The main thing that we're supposed to see in this is the ark. We're supposed to focus on the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It's the centerpiece of the story. Can we see that scripture again with the highlights? We see these, this big fancy title for the ark of the covenant. It doesn't just say the ark. It's the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. The ark of the Lord bearing the ark three times. Big long title. That's the centerpiece. It's repeated a bunch of times. That's the thing that makes the river stop. But what is it exactly? What's the ark? We learn from Exodus 25 that the ark is a wooden box roughly four feet by two plated in gold with gold-hammered angels on top of it, on the the lid. And it contains three things. The Ten Commandments, manna, that food God gave them in the wilderness, and this really cool thing, Aaron's staff. This is Moses' brother, so this is his walking stick. And his staff was in there as well. So another way to look at that is it contained the legal relational contract between God and his people, the law. It contained uh, this reminder that God miraculously fed and provided and and cared for his people when they would have otherwise died. And it also contained that stick, the, the dead piece of wood that God had brought to life. He had caused that old thing to blossom and produce almonds. And so that's a symbol that to God's people, that he can bring life out of death. Those, that's what's in that ark. His law, his rule, his, his statement of provision and life. That's what the people were supposed to look at. It's the location of his relationship and his rule. That's where he would meet with them and speak to them. It's his place of kingship. It's his throne, really. That is God's presence. And that's what was going first into the river. God's presence. So get this. What we're supposed to see is it's God stepping into death for his people so that they could have life. It's God going first into something that would otherwise kill them, but holding it back so that they could enter his promise fulfilled. That's the kind of God I want to keep my eyes on. This is the kind of God that I want to trust. That's the kind of God that I want going before me and staying first in everything I do. 
Because if God going first is what gets his people in, then keeping God first is the thing that's going to carry us through. Amen? That was true for Israel then. It's true for us today. And as we look at 2023, the obstacles that we're not sure how to get across, the impossible goals, the mile-long to-do list that we have, the new challenges and unknowns coming at us, the crushing workloads, the, the burden, the pressure of school, changes and moves that I don't know how to navigate yet. I believe what's going to help us get through that is looking at the Lord and keeping him first. Looking at the Lord, keeping him first. How do we do that? I want to invite you to think about what was hindering your view of God in 2022. Encourage us to think about the obstructions that we dealt with last year. What's stopping us from seeing the Lord clearly? Let's get that out of the way in 2023. You know, one thing I know interferes with seeing God clearly is unchecked sin. Let me explain what I mean. If we're in sexual sin, outside of marriage, lust, pornography, we are not able to see the exclusive covenant intimacy that God invites us into in our relationship with him. When we are living in infidelity, unfaithfulness, we have forgotten God's faithfulness. We have set that part of him behind us and charged forward to what we want in our flesh. Does that make sense? We're not seeing that. We're just charging, running towards our own sinful desire. If you're consumed by consuming, by coveting, greed, therapy shopping, just always itching to upgrade to the, the, the next best car, that tech gadget that I don't even need, but it's cool and I want it. So buying, wanting more and more then our dissatisfaction, our discontentment are going to prevent us from seeing God as provider. When our happiness hinges on the stuff that we don't have, we are hindered from looking to God for true contentment and joy. I'm not trying to shame anybody, pile guilt on. I just really believe that understanding our sin better can help equip us and motivate us to move it out of the way. That's all we're trying to do. Keep God first. Keep him in front and keep our eyes on him. So if we're holding grudges, hate, unforgiveness, we're not clearly seeing the forgiveness that God has extended us in Jesus through the cross of Christ. When we remain unreconciled and cold and distant, hostile with somebody, We're not seeing God as the reconciler, the prince of peace, right? I don't want to admit this. I personally had to work through one of these relationships last year. We start, and it was hard, uncomfortable, but it's going really well a few months later. And it is so freeing and refreshing to see and experience once again that God who can repair repair relationships, and he wants to do this for you as you look to him in that way too. Make sense? If we keep depending on substance to numb our negative feelings, if we keep looking to alcohol to take the edge off our anxious thoughts, we're not able to see God as counselor, as healer, the one who helps us with those things, the one who cares for us and lets us cast our worries, our anxieties, our burdens on him. If we're refusing to rest, because I think I'm too tough, I'm too busy for that, I'll just get it done. We're just looking to our own strength, putting our career first above everything else. And we're not seeking God for his strength, looking to him in faith for the ability, the power, the time to get our work done the other six days of the week. 
We can't see God clearly when we're in unchecked sin. I just went up to the Central Coast uh, a couple weeks ago when it was raining really heavy. You remember that? And it's for our, my anniversary with my wife, and that's where we got married, so we were kind of revisiting all of that and had a really nice time. But it was raining heavily, and my wiper blades on my truck were really old, really bad. And they weren't working correctly, you know. They're leaving all those blurry streaks on your windshield. And it's like, for me, it's fatiguing as a driver. It's distracting and kind of exhausting. And I'm trying to see the road and pay attention to other drivers. And you got these big, like, watermarks on my windshield. It's annoying, right? It's pulling my focus away constantly, irritating my thinking about it. It can put my family in danger even, you know. And so coming back down south from that trip, it's still raining, and I realized, I can't keep doing this. I need to fix this right now. I need to go get new wipers. So I look up an auto zone, uh, pull over, and it's Santa Maria. I spend 50 bucks, and I get new wiper blades, change them right there in the parking lot. I get back on the road. It's like, oh, my goodness. I could not stop talking about how nice it was to have a clear view again. It's like, this is clean. It's amazing. I, like, enjoy driving and getting in my truck now. It was wonderful. Let's do that. Let's do that with whatever sin, whatever obstruction is in our way, whatever path you're going down that might be destructive and sinful. Pull over, please. Absorb the cost. Experience that loss. Just be okay with it, with letting that stuff go. Get it out of the way. God's calling you into a new season. Whatever junk is in your foreground, hindering you from clearly seeing the Lord, toss it. Let the Lord come back into view and be your clear focus once again. Amen? Let's let God go first. Let's never lose sight of him. Let's look at the Lord and let him stay in front. God's people did this as they crossed the Jordan. This is what he's calling us to do today. God's people watched the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, go before them into deadly water as he pulled it back and piled it up so that they could get across and enter his promised place. And what would help keep this in foreground for them in their view, in their mind, and what would help them to teach their kids, not just for that moment, but generations to come, what he did for them, what, who God was, was this unique memorial that we see in Joshua 4. Let's look at Joshua 4, starting in verse 5. He said, build this thing that's going to help you remember all that I've done here. He said, take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. According to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, how many is that? Twelve. 12 stones, 12 tribes, 12 stones, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Uh, Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. A little bit repetitive, huh? There's a reason. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So that's what they were supposed to do. Build a monument of 12 big river stones. Throw it on your shoulders so they're this big. But readers need to notice also not just what happened, but how this is written because that's really the key to understanding what it means. You heard in there, there's a little bit of echo, there's a little bit of repetition, and that's good. There's a point to that. There's something here. This is going to get a little technical. Hang with me. There's something here called a chiasm. You heard of that before? And it's a literary device that's intended to point to the point. In, in uh, Greek, chi, chi, is the letter X, and that's the shape or the structure of the text here, with the verses at the top and the bottom paralleling each other, and then 
funneling inward until you get to that nice middle fillet point. This X is saying, that marks the spot. That's the thing I really want you to focus on. Does that make sense? This is what it looks like visually. This is the same text uh, just laid out in the chiasm that it already contains. Does that make sense? So it's pointing inward to the center thing that we're supposed to be paying attention to. You see that the top and bottom are kind of the same, and then the waters of the Jordan cut off, waters of the Jordan cut off. You see that, right? And then boom, the middle part, Ark of the Covenant of the Lord passed over the Jordan. That's what readers are, that's what you and I are supposed to remember and really pay attention to here. That God's presence stepped into the river and cut the water. Make sense? Kind of an unusual phrase for dealing with water though, isn't it? Cut? You ever cut water? <laughs> Doesn't, how do you do that? We say cut off electricity. We say my phone call got cut off. But water, why not just stop it? Why not just hold it back, right? There's a good reason for that word cut. Let's talk about that. In Hebrew, this is the word karath. Cut. And to understand it, look really quickly at these other parts of Joshua where that word is used. In Joshua 9, it says, Joshua made a covenant with them. Now, there's this other word for made, asa, made peace. And the translators of the Bible here, are, they're not trying to trick us. They're not lying. They're not messing this up. They're just trying to keep it clear and simple. So instead of saying cut a covenant, made a covenant, cut a covenant, they translate it made, which is just smooth. But the, I want you to know the, the Hebrew word behind made a covenant is cut, kareth. The same thing God did with the waters. Another example, Joshua 24, Joshua made, cut, karath, a covenant with the people that day. So you got this phrase, cut, a covenant. It's used to describe making a covenant or a contract. With me? But why? What is that? That still sounds weird. Go back to the first time that word is used in the Bible this way. Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Remember earlier when God made a promise to Abraham? Talked about that at the beginning. To make a great nation out of his family, plant them in this special land. In that story, Abraham says, how am I going to know that all that's going to happen? What's, like, what's the guarantee? Uh, and what God said was, don't worry, I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I've given you this land to possess. So there's people, there's place. That's the promise component of this covenant. Offspring and land. He says, but really, like, how am I really going to know that I'm going to take possession of this land? How do I know it's mine? And God's response is this in Genesis 15, 9. This is where the cut stuff starts getting explained. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He, Abraham, brought him all these, cut them in half, laid them, laid each half over and against each other, so he split split them in half, and there's a pathway through them. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And when the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Listen, on that day, the Lord cut a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I'll give this land. This very common phrase all over the Old Testament. It's the standard way to say make a covenant. You cut a covenant. And that's what it means. Two people making an agreement, a treaty, a contract. 
and enacting the consequence for not holding up your part. Does that make sense? Usually, uh, let me back up a little bit. It's, that might sound weird to us, uh, but it's not actually too far off from modern contracts today that detail the consequences as well, right? Like if you don't do your part, then it's, y- y- litigation could result or seizure of property or whatever. You know what I mean? All contracts have that kind of thing. Now, in ancient Near Eastern custom, it was the subordinate or inferior party that would typically pass through those cut carcass pieces. That would have been Abraham, right? If I fail to do my part, I'm willing to die, be cut like these animals. That's the point of that. But instead of Abraham passing through, what happened? God puts him off to the side and shows himself passing through in that fire. That's a way for God to say, I am going to see to it that you possess this land. And if you don't, I will take the consequence on myself. I will take the punishment for your failure. That's the statement being made here. Recap. Genesis 15, God cuts a covenant with Abraham, making a promise under the consequence of death that God would give him a specific land. With me? Okay. What does that have to do with Joshua 4? In Joshua 4, God is fulfilling that very promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis 15. And what we're supposed to see is that just as God passed through death to make that promise, so was God passing through death to deliver on that promise. That is so cool. Just as God put Abraham in the passive role, so he puts Israel in the same position, saying, just watch me do this. Watch me step into this first and for you. The point is, just as the covenant was cut, so is the covenant fulfilled. Make sense? And what, by the way, what was it that entered the river? The Ark of the Covenant. It's no no accident. Cut covenant all over the place in this passage. There's even uh, more that I'm not saying here, but we get the point. And God knew the message he was conveying, that he is so serious about his promise, he's willing to go through death to fulfill it. Let me say that again. God is so serious about keeping his promise, he will go through death to fulfill it. You see that? That's why the waters were cut. That's why God went first. That's what he wanted them to look at. That's what he wanted them to remember by taking those 12 stones that should be stuck at the bottom of a deadly river like you and me. But he picked them up and put them on dry land saying, remember this. You were dead, now you're alive. This is you. That God cut death itself to carry his people into life in his promised land. That's something that you never want to forget. That's a story you tell, that God saved me from death by going into it for me. It's not just something that God did for Abraham, for Israel, is it? This is what's been done for you and me and Jesus, amen? Think about this for a second, too. Where was Jesus baptized? The Jordan River. Why? Because of this. Because this is where God fulfills his promise to his people. This is so beautiful to me, sorry. This is where God spared them from death and got them into his special place. This is where God takes on the consequence for our failure. The difference, though, 
is that where God held back the waters for Israel, he did not hold those back for Jesus. Because when Jesus was baptized, he goes into and under the water, symbolizing a drowning, a death, pointing to his death on the cross, where he would die for us so that we could live, so that you and I could walk through on dry ground and be in God's promised presence. You see that? In Joshua, God stopped the waters for his people to get them into the land. In Jesus, he succumbs to the waters to get God into us. The God who held back the river for Israel has gone back into it to hold back death for you and for me. And after he was drowned by death, he came back up to life. Drowning death itself. I mean, what grace, what power, what beauty, what love, what courage, what strength. This is the miracle of deliverance and salvation and a life that's been given to you and to me because of God's incredible sacrifice. That's the thing we're supposed to remember. That's the thing that gets memorialized. Never forget. This is what we need to make sure we constantly, regularly look at and never lose sight of. This is what we set up reminders, memorials, structures for so that we can rehearse it and reiterate this miracle and this sacrifice, this promise fulfilled. How do we do that? We did one one way we did that was two weeks ago and then last week. We ended 2022 with this and we started 2023 with communion, the Lord's Supper. That's a memorial that recalls his death. It brings us back to the truth, the fact that Jesus died for us. So I want to encourage us to always, whenever we're doing it, look forward to it. Stay hungry for it. Treasure it. Teach your kids about it. Explain it. Let that bring you back to what Jesus did for you at the cross. Communion is one of those memorials. Another one is baptism. It's a similar milestone in your spiritual journey. It's an act of obedience to Jesus that shows I identify with his death, his dipping in the river, and his resurrection. I have died with him, and I have new life with him. That's coming up in February. And so if you've not been baptized, I really want to encourage you to hop into that. Learn about baptism. Get ready for that. And Set up that memorial structure to symbolize how you have been brought from death to life in Jesus Christ. A third third memorial structure that we can have. You know, I know you all believe church is important. You're here right now. You're tuning in right now. But just to reframe, recast it a little bit. Weekend worship service is one of these weekly structures to remind us every seven days that Jesus rose on Sunday right now. He's not dead. He's alive. And he gives new life to those who believe. That this is not just a, a place to feel good or to be entertained. It's not just free childcare or not a religious duty that we check off of a list. This is a place that we gather as the people of God to rehearse and to remember his great story of redemption, who he is and what he has done by entering into death on our behalf. And we celebrate that. And we're strengthened by that. We're encouraged by that to walk in his presence in obedient faithfulness to him. That's what this is for. This is a memorial to remember what he's done for us. Another one is life groups. It's another spiritual structure. It's a stone for me on Wednesday, other days of the week for a lot of you, to help me remember how much the Lord has done for me. And he's given us this space and these relationships to work out what it means to be people who have been brought from death to life and now are in his gracious promise. You know, last week in our life group, uh, somebody noted that 
when we started Life Group, we came in so hungry and isolated coming out of COVID and stuff on these little Zoom boxes and just felt kind of, it's like a dead start, you know. It's like we really want community, but this is tough. We're so, so hungry for it. And now we have it. This last Wednesday, we're sitting in a circle sharing our, our goals for the year, encouraging, strengthening, supporting each other. And we feel so glued together through our deep sharing, our transparency, and uh, just that brotherly, sisterly affection that God has created in us. And that's not because we're a great group. It's because God has been good to us. God is generous and been gracious to give us all of that, allowed us to experience what it looks like to be people who have been brought from death to life in community. Life groups are another spiritual structure in the middle of our week to point us to the truth that Jesus walked through death for us. Tuesday night prayer meetings are another one of these structures that I think a lot more of us really do need to build our week around. Because this, prayer is not just asking God for things. It's so much bigger and deeper than that, isn't it? Tuesday night prayer is a time to come together and really look at his power, his capacity to deliver and save. Asking God to move and to work is that. It's acknowledging, God, you are so much greater than me. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. So we come to you trusting that you can. We need that reminder in the middle of our week. We forget that by Tuesday. We lift up our requests, our concerns, our confessions, our praises to him, knowing he's the one who can intervene today and tomorrow because of what he, we, he, has, he has done in the past. We renew our dependence on him. And so let that be a new structure for you this year, if it's not already. Maybe our upcoming series, our 40-day focus on prayer, is going to be a new way that you can set up some memorial stones and structures in your life. The Lord, I really believe, is going to use those next couple of months to grow us in our daily devotion and our understanding, our capacity for prayer. He's going to push us to establish new rhythms, and he's going to cause us to look at him more often and remember over and over who he is and what he did for us. So I I hope you sign up online for that prayer journal. Grab one in the lobby, hopefully next week when they're printed, and really track and engage deeply with all you got the next 40 days uh, to, to set up these new prayer structures so that we can constantly remember what God has done for us, going into death on our behalf. Music, written reminders, good conversation with Christian friends that draw you back to the work of Christ, worshipfully enjoying and taking in his creation, saying, wow, you are powerful over this. You made this for us. Thank you. All those things can be structures throughout our week that we set up in our lives to point us back to what God did to get us through death and to keep our eyes on him as we move forward into a new year. Let's let these kinds of things be memorial structures for us in 2023. Stones that help us to see how God saves. Lastly, one more thing I don't don't want us to miss in this text is what happened after they set up this memorial. After they crossed the river and they step into enemy territory, like entering the new challenges of the year, it's a little bit intimidating. They're mentally preparing for this battle in front of them to claim the land that God gave them. And God gives a very inconvenient instruction. He tells their men to be circumcised. Pretty uncomfortable. I know you didn't come to church to hear about that today, so don't worry, I'm not going to get all like anatomical and stuff, but... We do want to see what the point of that is. Why are they doing that? The point is this. After God cut his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, he instructs Abraham 
to experience a cut in Genesis 17. Now in Joshua 4, after God has cut the waters, he commands his people to experience a cut on themselves as well. Does that make sense? To identify with the covenant that he has just cut for them. Look at this in Joshua 5. He's telling his people to be marked as his, cut as his covenant people. Joshua 5 verse 6. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua had circumcised. This is an external cutting off and removing a part of flesh to symbolize being cut on the inside, which shows an obedient submissive heart, worshipful, trusting posture that acknowledges God's promise and his power and his rule. And so translating that practice into the new covenant for us today, it means that we people, Christians, need to say and show both inside and out, I belong to Jesus. I trust him. I will be marked by him. I will follow him, and I want to be transformed to look more and more like Jesus. I want to be marked by his covenant. Even when I'm in a position of vulnerability in enemy territory. Even when I'm in a moment of weakness and pain. Even in a season of sensitivity and a time of healing. I will trust you, and I will obey you. And I want you to lead me. That's what this means. So I want to ask us, what impression, what cut has the work of Christ made on you? How has that marked us? And how is it changing you from the inside out? Example, you know, as I look back on 2022, I had a bad attitude too many times. I'm not proud of that. I was disappointed and disgusted way too often. I was way too quick to judge. I was not restrained or gentle enough in my critique. That's some junk that just needs to get cut away. In 2023, I want to be more marked by the character of Jesus. I want to cut that away and live like I belong to Christ. I want to be kinder. I want to be more tender. I want to look at people with more compassion and understanding. Hold back a lot of the harsh things that I probably want to say and instead just try to care for that person's heart. I want to seek God's righteousness more in myself, working on where I fall short and try to be less critical, less judgmental when other people fail. That's how I want to be marked by the covenant of Christ this year. So, As you reflect on last year, what's the Lord calling you out of? What is he challenging you to cut away? And how is he leading you into 2023? And how does he want you to to be marked by his covenant? How does he want you to cut away the impulses of your flesh and abandon those tendencies of your old self and be marked by the newness that we have because of his promised presence within us? I challenge you to think about this, that this week. Jot some ideas down. Or maybe use that to kind of reframe, reshape the resolutions that you've already laid out a bit. Let's let ourselves be marked by Jesus. I mentioned earlier 
that I failed to cut the rock out from my leg. It's still there. I'm not going to show you, but I'm marked by those experiences, by the skating, by the, the failed surgery. It's a reminder to me constantly that while I, I like to be pretty self-sufficient, figure things out on my own, do it myself, there are some things that I can't do by myself. Uh, surgery might be one. I was not skilled enough to cut that thing the way that it needed to be cut. I needed someone else to do it for me. And friends, that's the key for how we will get through 2023. This year, this new year, let's look to the one who did what we couldn't and went through death on our behalf so that we could have life. Let's make sure there's nothing in the way of seeing him. Let's keep him in front because he went first into death and he deserves to stay first in all we do. Let's set up reminders and structures to help us remember his salvation, his sacrifice, his mercy, and his grace. And let's be people who are marked by Jesus. We belong to him, so let's look more and more like him through constant, faithful, worshipful obedience, acknowledging his authority over all of us, both inside and out. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we first want to thank you for this good news that you have cut through death into life for us so that we could enter into your promise, so that we could have your presence, so that we could rest in you and be provided for by you. We see that, Lord. We acknowledge your love and your provision and your courage and your strength that you showed by going ahead into death so that we could get through. We thank you for that, Father. Lord, you have proven and shown, demonstrated without any doubt, you deserve to stay first in our lives. And so we invite your spirit to help us keep our eyes on you, open our eyes in wonder, and show us over and over again through these memorials, these structures, who you are. God, we ask that you would lead us in your love, help us to build our lives on your promise and your power and your faithfulness and your grace to trust you, to look at you, to look like you, and to follow you because you're worthy of our focus, our attention. God, we are yours. We invite you to mark us. We invite you to lead us. We thank you and praise you. It's in the name of Jesus. We sing and pray. Amen.